Acts 15 is where we're going to be, and some portions of Galatians as well. If you're uh, here for the first time or visiting, or if you haven't been here for a while, we're going through a series on the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, and, and we're taking his life chronologically and dealing with scriptures that uh, are pertinent to that particular time in his life. And uh, we've come to that time in Paul's life where he is a major influence on the church at a council in Jerusalem. Uh, It's been said that you can have a theology of grace, but not have a lifestyle of grace. And I think that's profound the more you actually think about that. In fact, most Christians are performance-oriented, thinking that the things they do for God make them more spiritual, or in some cases, actually ensures their salvation. It's not a new problem at all. Early in the life of the church, around 50 AD, there was a movement to introduce a lifestyle of works in order to be truly saved. Paul was instrumental in defending grace and preserving the integrity of the gospel. And so if you're in Acts 15, let's read beginning in verse one. It says, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now, we left Paul and Barnabas in Antioch at the church there, largely Gentile church, uh, where they'd been ministering for quite some time. And these guys come down from Judea and they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, some of you have had an experience like this at some point in your Christian life, probably not uh, regarding circumcision, but I'll bet four or five or ten of you have had somebody tell you that you're not truly saved if you haven't been baptized uh, or if you don't take communion once a week or if you don't observe the Sabbath. And so this is not an old problem. It's a new problem. It's an ongoing problem. And so in verse 2, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, I wouldn't want to be the guy on the other end of no small dissension with the Apostle Paul. I don't know what that means, but it can't be good. Uh, They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question, meaning let's settle this. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria describing the conversion of the Gentiles and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Their missionary trip was two years in the past. Paul and Barnabas had been sharing Jesus with Gentiles who were getting saved and growing in the Lord. It was nothing new for a Gentile to convert to becoming a Jew. The procedures had been in place for centuries. One of the requirements was physical circumcision. These new Gentile converts, however, were accepted by Paul and Barnabas as true converts to Jesus without being required to be circumcised at all. They weren't being required to keep any of the customs that were associated with conversion to Judaism. And so the question really was, did a Gentile, a non-Jew, or for that matter, even a Jew, need to keep the customs of the law of Moses in order to be truly saved? Or as we would put it today, is salvation by grace alone through faith alone, or is it grace through faith plus some kind of work or works of righteousness that I must also perform? And as I showed you a few minutes ago, this is still uh, in the minds and hearts of so many people today. 
in, in terms of what must I do to be saved. They'll tell you you have to believe in Jesus Christ and do some further works uh, in order to be truly saved. And so this is a, a very critical issue. So verse four, when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. Paul filled in some of the details of this trip when he wrote his letter to the Galatians. If you want to turn over to Galatians 2, we're gonna flip back and forth a little bit tonight. So Galatians 2, 1 then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And so, Comparing what we read in Acts and what Paul said in Galatians, it appears that Paul and Barnabas and Titus were formally received by the church. They probably had a, a potluck. Uh, and, and they said, hey, great, let's throw some food together, get some hot wings, and uh, you know, Paul, Paul is here, and let's see what's happening. Then there followed a private interview with Paul and the leaders in Jerusalem in which Titus was presented as an example of salvation by grace alone without any further works of righteousness required by the law. But his very presence there, his testimony, uh, was enough to show that, that God was working in the Gentiles. You, you might remember from your reading in the book of Acts, Peter uh, was sent to the Gentile house of Cornelius and the Holy Spirit came upon that Gentile gathering and they were saved. Uh, and in a minute, Peter's going to use that as an illustration. And so they could tell that Titus was saved. And so all of this talk about him needing some further work in order to be really saved or truly saved or to finish off that work, uh, it was ridiculous. And so they had this, this uh, meeting because there, were, there was a faction in the church there uh, that was demanding that uh, people still keep all of the Jewish traditions. At some point, the objectors spoke. Verse five in Acts we read, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And then it seems a public meeting of the church followed, uh, beginning in verse six, where it says, now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And so Paul, Peter says, look, when Cornelius and his household heard the gospel, they received the Holy Spirit into their hearts by grace through faith and were born again, just like we have to be born again. And so he says in verse 10, now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved 
in the same manner as they. I like Peter's approach here. He says, he points out that keeping works of righteousness never saved anybody. Uh, And so why would you want to uh, continue to put that on people as a burden? And then he says, and guys, we as Jews, we need to realize we get saved that same way by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved because we keep the law. If, if we want to go on keeping the Sabbath and meeting in the temple and observing the customs of Moses and of Judaism because that's our culture and that's our tradition, that's great, but it, it doesn't help us to be saved. Uh, and, and so Peter has exactly the right heart on this. Then all the multitude, verse 12 says, uh, they kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. And after they had become silent, James answered saying, and so after they become silent means they, they, they let everybody talk this out it's kind of like a town hall meeting, I guess. You know, the, you know uh, some of you have gone to those political meetings and, and uh, you know, where everybody's kind of agitated and they talk and then they finally try and bring some order to it. And so they let everybody talk, the objectors talked, and then Peter got up and he talked and then Paul and Barnabas talked and they kind of, you know, these guys... When these guys talked, people really listened because uh, not only their stature and the way God had used them, but the Holy Spirit was speaking through them. And so people kind of calmed down. And then James, who emerges as the leader of the Jerusalem church, uh, he gets up and he says, men and brethren, verse 13, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. And so James, uh, not, James appeals to Scripture, to the Old Testament Uh, what we call the Old Testament, but to to the Jewish scriptures to show that this is not a new thing, that God would save Gentiles. And says, verse 18, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And you know what? Those of you who've had conversations like this, it's troublesome. People are troubling you. Because you're, all of us, we're, we're just trying to live the Christian life. We're trying to get to know Jesus Christ. And, and we have an accuser all the time, the devil, who's always accusing us. Uh, our own hearts accuse us. <laughs> and then people come along and they say, well, you're, you're just, I don't even know if you're really saved if you weren't baptized. And then if you buy into that, then they tell you you have to be baptized the right way. Uh, in the right amount of water with the right words that are said over you. And I've known people who've been troubled their entire Christian life by various things. They'll seem like they're doing okay, and then somebody will come and they will trouble them. Uh, this is different than the conviction of sin or, or you know, when the Lord speaks to you and says, hey, there's an area in your life I'd like to deal with. I mean, these are just people who want to trouble you and make you feel terrible because they're doing something they're performing some work that you're not performing. And they are telling you, essentially, I'm more spiritual than you are because I keep the Sabbath, I was baptized the right way, uh, whatever it might be. 
And so James says, not even in our own scriptures, even in the Jewish Bible, the Lord said he was going to save the Gentiles. Uh, verse 19, therefore I judge we should not trouble them. Verse 20, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. So if you want to know, uh, if you want a list of rules, uh, this is as close as you're going to get. Uh, they don't want you to, uh, you, they, you should abstain from things that have been polluted by idols, check, that's easy, from sexual immorality, I agree, and from things strangled and from blood, that's a little bit cultural because this was prohibited for the Jews, and then he says why is because, you know, the, you're, you have to interface with Jews and you don't want to be offending them. And so the whole point of what James says is let's live together in peace and not offend each other. Uh, if, you're, if the Gentiles aren't required to become Jews in order to be saved, that's great, but they don't need to flaunt that liberty to Jews who are still struggling to find Christ uh, and for whom that is offensive. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, you might have liberty in an area, <clears throat> but if somebody doesn't, you don't want to force your liberty on them. It's just, it's just kind behavior. Now, so Peter, then Paul and Barnabas presented the case for salvation by grace alone without any further works of righteousness being required. James then summarized the discussion and the decision. So then in verse 22, Acts 15, 22, then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. It's interesting, the church, the uh, first century church, they always sent out their best guys uh, to, to do ministry. Uh, they, they didn't hold back. Uh, they sent out their leaders, their very best guys. Uh, we should follow suit with that. Then they wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings, since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. And I like that. If you teach the Bible, even if you teach Sunday school, you don't have to be a pastor, but you're gonna get blamed for saying something sooner or later. Sooner or later, somebody's gonna come to you and say, well, so-and-so said you said this. And you say, yeah, I, I never said that. I don't know what that's all about. And so, so these guys were going around saying, well, we just came from the Jerusalem church and, and they want you to know that you need to be circumcised. So you know, in the letter, they say, hey, these guys came to you. We never said that. That's, that's just a lie. It's another way of saying that's a lie. Uh, and so it says, we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you do well, farewell. Paul added the following recollection. Again, this is from Galatians. It's Galatians 2, 7 through 10. He says, on the contrary, 
When they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised or Jews worked effectively in me towards Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. And so uh, Paul adds something there that we don't get from Acts uh, in addition to uh, the certain requirements that they laid down. They said you should remember the poor uh, and be quick to do works of hospitality and generosity. Now, there weren't two gospels, one for Jews and another for Gentiles. There's only one gospel. It was being taken to Jews and Gentiles. It's just that God was using different vessels to accomplish his purpose. And so if a Jew wanted to continue to observe certain customs, that was fine. So long as it was understood, those customs had nothing to do with attaining or maintaining salvation. This is a little bit of a stretch but uh, in terms of an application, but I think it's appropriate. Um, after, after I got saved, after you got saved, if you got saved later in life, uh, you started to think about all of the customs and traditions that you keep throughout the year here in the United States of America. You know, and your, your first Christmas is like, wow, um, what do I do as a Christian? You know, how do I celebrate or not celebrate Chris, uh, Christmas as a Christian? Uh, and then, of course, Easter. Uh, you know, and you got the Easter bunny and all of that kind of stuff and Halloween comes along and, and, and so, and everybody has a different way of approaching this, but the idea is whatever you decide to do, uh, you, you understand that you're not worshiping pagan idols and, you know, you're, uh, you, you're, you know, if you have certain customs, you want to Christianize them, those kinds of things. And so this is what was going on. These people, these Jews, they'd grown up their entire life under the law and keeping the Sabbath and doing these rituals and all. And, um, God didn't say, hey, that was all junk, you know, you don't need to do any of that anymore. He, they just needed to understand that they didn't have to do it in order to be saved. It never had anything to do with being saved. It was just how they related uh, to one another as a culture and all. And so they could still do those things. And the, the, you know, most of the first century Christians at first, they were Jews and they continued to uh, keep the Sabbath and, and observe the dietary laws and all of that. And that was fine. Uh, Gentiles, they didn't need to adopt any Jewish customs, only they ought to be sensitive to Jews and not act in ways to offend their customs and their culture. Uh, we have an obligation as Christians to get along. Uh, and so, you know, we're all from various different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities. Uh, and um, I, I don't know if when, I might have said this last week in the message, but, uh, or I might have just been talking to somebody privately, I can't remember right now, but... Um, um, most of us, I mean this in the nicest possible way, so don't be mad at me, but a lot of us wouldn't give a lot of the others of us the time of day if we weren't Christians. Uh, we, we just don't really mix together if we're not Christians. We come from different walks of life and uh, different ethnicities and all of that kind of stuff I just mentioned, and we wouldn't be friends. We wouldn't be in a room together. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. But in the church, 
We all come together, we're all one in Jesus Christ, but we have to learn how to live with one another uh, and each other's customs and understandings of customs and those kinds of things. And, and so this is obviously a big problem in the first century because the Jews were so separated out from the Gentiles and there was such prejudice and bias and bigotry both ways. Uh, and and the, the Gentiles were going to experience such amazing freedom uh, compared to what the Jew thought he had to do. And so it was a very, very volatile situation. And so one gospel, but it was needed to be understood that uh, they had to get along. And so verse 31 of Acts 15, when they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now you realize the church at Antioch could have been wrecked by the teaching that salvation was by grace plus works. This was a very serious issue. In fact, every church from that point forward could have been wrecked. And the Holy Spirit superintended the situation. He saw to it that that did not happen. This is an absolutely critical time in the life of the church where um, if they had decided, well, yeah, we're, we're gonna have to keep the law of Moses, um, it, it, it would have killed uh, Christianity. Now, even though the issue was settled once and for all, as I indicated earlier, there's a sense in which it is never settled. Works of righteousness always try to replace grace as a way of living. Paul recounted an episode involving Peter back in Galatians 2.11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in a manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And so Peter fell back. He, he was embarrassed or fearful or whatever when these you know, Jewish believers came and he quit eating with the Gentiles and he, he acted like it was unlawful for a Jew to, uh, to eat those certain foods, even though he had been enjoying pork for quite a while, apparently. You know, he was a secret bacon freak, you know, because you know, Paul says, he goes, you're living in the manner of Gentiles, but uh, you're compelling Gentiles to live as Jews by your behavior. And what I like, it says, you're not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. You know, in other words, uh, by his behavior, he was showing that the gospel uh, was a works righteousness kind of a proposal, even though he didn't really believe that, and when Jews weren't around, he didn't live that way. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it behooves us, we need to be straightforward about the gospel. And uh, one of the things that means is that the way we behave, the way we actually behave, that is what we believe about the gospel. Uh, I said earlier, there's a, uh, you know, you can have a theology of grace, but have a lifestyle of works. 
And, and if that's the truth, then, then you're not being straightforward about the gospel. Uh, and so, you know, all of us just want to check our behavior from time to time and make sure that we're living out the things that we actually believe uh, and uh, there's a harmony there and not a hypocrisy. And so uh, Peter visiting this Gentile church, uh, probably the, it was at what they called the love feast. They would meet once a week on a Sunday night uh, for this love feast. Uh, and uh, Peter, though set free from Jewish dietary laws, uh, enjoyed this freedom until these Jews came down. Fearing their criticism, he withdrew. And so Paul uh, rebukes him publicly. You know, there's sometimes you think there's certain things in history you'd like to have seen. And, and this is one of those things, you know, just, you know, the Sermon on the Mount uh, is certainly one. And actually, everything in the life of Jesus. But, but uh, you know, there's certain key moments. But uh, I would have loved to seen how Paul handled this situation with Peter. Uh, it, it just uh, interesting. And apparently, Peter received it well because they went on to minister and, uh, you know, it, it didn't decimate their fellowship or anything like that. And so we learn from Peter, again, that it's possible to have a great theology uh, and, and to know what you know, but not have a lifestyle of grace. And so we definitely have a theology of grace. We believe that grace, uh, we're saved by grace through faith alone, uh, but we have to check ourselves to see if we are adding works of righteousness. No one is to ever add anything to the gospel of grace. Not the customs of Moses, like circumcision and Sabbath regulations. Not dietary restrictions. Not the way we dress or the holy days we observe. Certainly not baptism. Not any sacraments. Not speaking with other tongues or other spiritual manifestations. Uh, not our own unspoken rules for behavior. Not our church traditions, not even Christian disciplines like prayer and fasting and giving and Bible reading. It's grace plus nothing. I didn't say we don't do things. I'm saying that we can't add those things to our lives and think that they're necessary for our salvation to be attained or maintained or that they actually in some way make us superior to others. Our daily growing in the Lord between getting saved and seeing him face to face, the Bible calls that sanctification. It's the process of daily becoming more like Jesus Christ. I came across the following quote. This author says, sanctification is not slavishly submitting in the energy of the flesh to somebody's list of do's and don'ts in order to enhance our own reputation or earn points with God. It is laying hold of God's gracious assistance to become more like Christ for his glory and praise. Grace delivers us from bondage to laws and frees us to enjoy God in an enriching and satisfying relationship. We will be motivated to please him from within rather than pressured from without. We delight in pleasing someone who never stops giving good things to us. And so the question is, am I being assisted uh, is God assisting me by grace or do I think I am helping him by performing at a certain level? Do you think others are more spiritual than you because of their Christian disciplines? There's a fine line between the publican and the Pharisee. Uh, you remember the scene in the Gospels where the publican went in and was just beating his chest saying, be merciful to me, a sinner, 
And the other individual, the Pharisee, he said, hey, I'm glad I'm not like this publican because I fast and I pray and you know, I'm, I'm really right with you. And the idea is too, most people, when they look at that situation, who, people who don't know Christ, who don't have a relationship with Christ, if you said, pick out the more spiritual person in this picture, well, you'd pick out the Pharisee because of his performance as a religious worker. Uh, and we have a tendency to carry this over into our Christian walk and make it a performance-oriented situation. Uh, we should remain the publican. We should, we should uh, have that attitude of humility and realize not just, you know, at the moment of salvation, but throughout our walk with the Lord, but for God's grace, we're in deep trouble. God assists us when we depend upon him. We're not helping God out. And so, sure, you, you know, if you were to ask me, should I pray, should I give, should I fast, should I read the Bible, the better answer to that or the better way to put that is, I get to do those things now because I'm a child of God. I didn't care to do any of those things before. When I was a reprobate sinner, uh, I had my own agenda, I had my own lifestyle, things that I thought were gonna be satisfying that never were. And then I become born again. God the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and all of a sudden I'm open to the possibility of having a relationship with God. I wanna read the Bible. I remember my first birthday after I got saved, I gave all of my family a list of the Christian books I wanted. I had gotten Tim LaHaye's book, How to Study the Bible for Yourself, and I got every one of the books that he recommended, Nave's Topical Bible and the Schofield Reference Bible and Vine's Old Testament and New Testament Words and Unger's Bible Dictionary, and, and, and my, my family thought I'd gone nuts but I say, yeah, that's what I want. And so, you know, I'd open, oh, wow, Unger's Bible Dictionary. I didn't know who Unger was. I still don't know who Unger is, but, you know, I had my Bible Dictionary. I had everything I needed, this, you know, little shelf of books that I, need, I needed to study. And I, and I was excited because I, I got to study about God. I wanted to, and I got to do that. Nobody had to have a seminar when you first get saved, to say, we need to teach you how to pray now. Man, you, you were praying all the time, talking to God like crazy because you couldn't believe that you didn't know God was alive all those years. You had a lot of, of talking to make up for. Uh, you know, going to church wasn't a drudge. You couldn't wait to go to church. You were early to church. You were at church when they didn't have church because you wanted to be there. I remember on my, because I was an outside salesman on my lunch breaks, when I didn't have a client for lunch, I would go to Harvest, it was Calvary Riverside then, Harvest Christian Fellowship, they had a study room, and, and I would go and listen to Greg Laurie or, or Chuck Smith tapes, even portions of a tape for 20 minutes at a time, you're just like, oh man, this is so wonderful. You felt like you had to catch up. And it was all grace, because there was nothing you could offer God, he had found you in the worst condition possible, and, and you were kind of still in that condition and he was changing you, but you were so, I was so excited to know God and it was all motivated from within. And, and, but I'll, I'll be honest with you and serious with you, along the lines, uh, along the way, you start to add works to that and you start to hear messages about what you ought to be doing, not what you get to be doing. Uh, and, and then you start thinking, I'm more spiritual than you because I went to the prayer meeting and you didn't. And I had my devotions this morning and you didn't. 
and I'm doing this and you didn't and you know those kinds of things and we all need to just fight that if you stay in that place of first love then everything else will follow no one has to tell you to pray I'm going to tell you right now don't ever go to a prayer seminar where they're going to teach you how to pray if you don't want to pray that's a problem if somebody has to teach you how to pray other than Jesus when he said this is how you ought to pray you're in real deep you're a backslidden Christian you need to repent and then that should be your first prayer that's my whole prayer seminar by the way I'm going to I'm going to teach a prayer seminar we're going to have it how to pray if you're here to learn how to pray you need to repent if you're not praying enough then you need to repent and so that's how you start praying and once you've genuinely repented you're going to find yourself praying all the time like you did when you were first in love with Jesus Christ Uh, and so I know it sounds simple but it's very profound it's grace all the way simply seek to please the Lord and grace will fill in the rest amen